Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which which our community community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to to expand expand in faith, faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because because they they anchor us in something something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us. Everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Reading from Jeremiah 18, this is the message version. And I'm reading from my phone. I'm not trying to be cool or hip. I just can't pull the page far enough away to see, so I got bigger writing on this one. Jeremiah 18, this is from the message, verses 1 through 11. God told Jeremiah, up on your feet, go to the potter's house, and when you get there, I'll, have, I'll tell you what you have to say. So I went to the potter's house, and sure enough, the potter was there, working away at his wheel. Whenever the pot the potter was working on turned out badly, as sometimes happens when you're working with clay... The potter would simply start over and use the same clay to make another pot. And then God's message came to me, can't I do just as this potter does, people of Israel? God's decree, watch this potter. In the same way that this potter works as clay, I work on you, people of Israel. At any moment, I may decide to pull up a people or a country by the roots and get rid of them. But if they repent of their wicked lives, I will think twice and start over with them. At another time, I might decide to plant a people or country, but if they don't cooperate and won't listen to me, I will think again and give up on them, the plans I had for them. So, tell the people of Judah and citizens of Jerusalem my message. Danger, I'm shaping doom against you laying plans against you. Turn back from your doomed way of life and straighten out your lives. The word of the Lord. Man, I... Good luck, Becky. Yes, thank you. I feel like I need it. Good luck after having him read that. Wow. I think I need to go back and rewrite my sermon. Um, Thank you, Mitch. Thank you very much. Couple things. Um, hi, my name is Becky Patton, and that feels a little tingy to me. Is it tingy? Can we take the ting down just a little bit? Um, yeah, what an interesting passage, right? Does anybody else feel uncomfortable with it? I hear the I hear a murmur, but I mean, honestly, we do we feel uncomfortable with this? I do. I have to tell you, um, I. When I picked out this text, to be really honest with you, I picked it out, and honestly, I didn't like it. So why did I pick it? And actually, I need a phone so I don't go over, because we could be here all day. Um, It's interesting. Sometimes I think you pick texts, and sometimes texts pick you. 
And here's what I know is anything that makes me feel uncomfortable has something to teach me. And I think what we have here in the, I want to say basically what we have is we have a desire to run away from anything that, try, that makes us feel uncomfortable. And we all have it to some degree. So I'm going to invite you today, can you just stay in the tension of this verse as we kind of work our way through it? So how many of you have ever actually read Jeremiah? No shame here, we're all raising, I, I read the whole text. Okay, I never have. I mean, I read this one, but I have to be honest, I'm an eight with a seven wing, and the last book I want to read in the book, in the Bible, are just Jeremiah or Lamentations, because they're so, I feel like there's so, there's so much weight in them, and I don't really understand a lot of it, and it's, it's been hard for me, so I made it a point to read through Jeremiah so I could get to know Jeremiah. Still not sure that I like him, but what do we know about Jeremiah? This is an all play. What do we know about Jeremiah? Prophet. What does prophet mean? Messenger. It, the literal translation of prophet means one who speaks. So I, that, let's, hold in, let's hold that in, in the bucket today, okay, as we're learning about this text. Because one of the things is, one of my questions is, whose voice do we actually listen to? and what's their source of what they're speaking from. So he is a prophet, yes, he's a prophet, and he is speaking in a really difficult time. What else do we know about Jeremiah? He wasn't well-liked. Lisa, you're right, he wasn't well-liked. What else? Kind of how I felt. I really didn't know much about him. But I found out that he was born into a priestly family he was considered the prophet of doom. How would you like that on your tombstone? He was the weeping prophet. He was the author of Jeremiah and Lamentations, so he's got two strikes against him in my book. And most likely, he was the author of First and Second Kings. He was a prolific prophet with a lot of words. And he had the characteristics of being a pessimist about the present. So... I think part of that comes from, and this is where my compassion comes in for him, he witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem, and he also witnessed the temple coming down and the northern kingdom being scattered. And he's trying to bring a message of hope. So can you, let's just recognize that's the, that's the vein he's speaking from. So God told Jeremiah to go up to a potter's house. Now, what's interesting, how many potter's houses do we have in today's culture? Where do you get your pottery? Pottery barn, yes, thank you, somebody said it, yes. We, we go to a store to get it, right? And are there any potters there? So that's like foreign to us. We don't have any clue of that. But the reality is, is the thing I love about this culture right there, potters were on every street corner. They would have had more than one potter in every village because pottery that was needed. And the potters were the ones who helped the community to be able to gather water, to be able to have store grain. They were just a regular part of society. And that's something that isn't a part of our regular culture. But what I love is that God took something, part of everyday culture, and invited Jeremiah to go down there and see. So my first 
my first noticing in this passage was, oh, maybe God uses everyday things to teach us about the reality of who God is. What if God does that? So I don't have any problem with this section of the scripture. I really don't. Um, last week, Steve talked about the fact that those, you know, those stackable dolls, and you pull in scripture, you know, the, the reality is those stackable dolls, you, know, you pull one apart, there's another one inside, you pull it apart, there's another one, until gradually you get down to the a teeny tiny little thing that in our house we always lost, um, and somehow the vacuum cleaner always found it. But the reality is you have that little tiny thing. And so with scripture, I think there's different layers. So the first initial layer of this is I think God actually uses real things to help teach us real practical lessons about who we are and how we can relate to God. Thank goodness God does that. I think it's one of the reasons why we have the Eucharist table over and over again. It's, it's food. It literally is something we all crave and desire, right? So there's this element God uses everyday things. What are some other things that God uses as analogies to describe who God is in Scripture? What are some other things? Shepherd? Mm-hmm. Father? Where was it? Light? Yeah, light. Fire? What? Cloud? Mother hen, I will gather. Yeah, mm hmm. Agriculture. You know, isn't it interesting the variety here that God is using? So, one of my things that I think is really important is to recognize when I got into this passage was wait a minute. If God's using something that's every day, there's something about this that is really important and holds both a timely truth. There's something about, there were potters on every corner there. They're not now, but what's the timeless truth that we can draw from this? And you guys, it's a pretty harsh passage. We haven't even gotten to the harsh part. You see, I'm avoiding the tension of that because if the time runs out, then I just, you guys have to go home with that, right? <laughs> no. So when we hear scripture, my question is, how do we discern what is relevant to today and holds a timeless truth for us? Because I don't have, I don't have potters to go look at. I don't. But what I know is in the passage, God goes on and what God says is, um, can I do just as the potter does? I watch the potter in this same way that this potter works his clay. I work on you. So who do we let work on us? That's an all play. God, culture, let's be practical. Who do you let work on you? I mean, what? Spout, yeah, that's, that can be fun. <laughs> yeah, a chiropractor, chiropractor. My therapist, yes. Who else? Who said that? Me? Yeah? But who do we let work on us? I mean, I let my dentist work on me. Do we have any teenagers here with braces? Every time you go in for that adjustment, you're letting someone work on you. So what matters about the people who work on us? What's important? Trust? What else? 
that they wash their hands, yes. <laughs> That's practical, yes, they do need to wash their hands. That they know things. They might know things what? About what they're doing, right? Really important. Pardon me? We need to listen and respond. So somebody who's going to work on us, there are certain things that we expect, right? And there's a relationship that has to form. And I don't know about you, but if I'm going to go have my foot operated on, I'm going to check that surgeon out really well. And I'm going to ask for referrals, and I'm going to want to know what the character of who, I mean, not just the character, I want to know about his skill level, and I want to know about what he sees, right? Or she sees. So who do we let work on us? That's my second question for today. Who do we let? And if we have a perception, and now we're going to get into some of the tenser parts of this passage, one of the things that I realize is if our perception of the one who's working on us is one of fear and I don't trust you and um, I'm not in relationship with you and I don't want to listen to you and I don't want to respond to you. What does that mean for how we're actually letting that person work on us? How we view God will inform how we hear words of tension. How we view God at the very core is foundational to how we view scriptures at the core. We just sang, it is your breath in our lungs. And I love that part, Terry. I think you changed it to where you said it's your breath in our lives. That's what I heard. I don't know if you were actually singing that. But it was like all of a sudden I went, corporately we're breathing together and that's the breath of God. Does that feel safe? Does it feel scary? Because the next part is at any moment I may decide to pull up out of people, and then the part that we don't like the most, I didn't like the most, so tell the people of Judah, citizens of Jerusalem, my message, danger. And I can't say it quite like Mitch did. Mitch, that was profoundly well-read. Um, danger! <laughs> I'm shaping doom against you, laying plans against you. Turn back from your doomed way of life and straighten out your lives. What do you hear? One translation says, I'm shaping destruction against you. So my question is, what do you hear when you hear the word doom and you hear destruction? What do I do to stop it? Anger. Fear. The word there for doom, shaping doom, is makashava. And it means a thought as a device or a plan with a purpose. Now, I grew up in the church, and a lot of my theology I absorbed rather than wrestled with. I absorbed it 
without question because of innocence. And I think a lot of my work in my adult years has been deconstructing some of my theology and trying to understand how my faith fits with who I am now. Fifteen years ago, I felt called to teach a class at the church I was at, and it was called, the name of it was called Holy Sexuality. At the time, the church I was at had a requirement that 12 people had to register for a class in order to have it, and we got 15 the day before the deadline. That night, I showed up at class to teach, a six-week class, and there were 100 to 125 people that had not registered. I know. I'd listed the class for married women only. After all, I was married. We're going to talk about sexuality. I taught that night about how our view of God is directly related to how we view ourselves, our bodies, and one another. And at the core, I taught about how we view God and God's capacity to see us in love will impact how we view our sexuality. I taught about the vastness of God's love and about God being with all of us in all things and for us in all things. And at the end of the night, a woman comes up to me with tears streaming down her face and said this, I lied in order to get into this class. I am single. Please. Don't exclude singles, because we too need this information. She went on to say, I will leave and not return to honor your married-only restriction. But know for the first time in my life, I have a glimmer of hope that my sexuality is not a curse. She turned and walked out, and I never saw her again. I believe that woman was a prophet that interrupted my carefully crafted course of belief that was trying to protect something. That God actually wanted me to do some deconstruction of my own theology. I looked into her sincere and seeking heart and I literally saw the face of God. I saw desire for belonging in a way that to this day it still wrenches my heart. And I wish I knew who she was. And I wish I could meet her again face to face. And I pray that someday I do. Because when I do, I think my spirit will remember her. God is the potter. What if at that moment... There was a destruction of something in me that called me to long for something more. I believe God was reshaping something in me and expanding me. I was using a handed-down theology that I had inherited and absorbed rather than wrestled with. I felt safe talking to married women. 
I was being invited to wrestle with what made me uncomfortable, sexuality and singleness. Second thing I saw that day is I saw firsthand that God's love and grace was bigger than mine. See, that woman lied in church to get into a class where she was longing for truth. She was braver than I was. Now, I'd like to say that destruction happened, boom, God reformed something in me, my heart expanded, I suddenly had this great revelation, everything was great, but I'll never forget the first time I sat down across from a single woman and the first time I sat across from a single man. And I said, tell me your story. Let's talk about this. Let's be engaged with who you are as a human being and who God made you as a sexual human being, that your sexuality is not bad. It is a gift from God. And one of the things I think a potter knows is when they start working with the clay, what they find are the places where more moisture or water, this is practical, needs to come to the clay. They recognize and they know every curve of that. And when they find a little pebble that will literally not make it through the firing process, they throw it again and they blend it out. See, I think God knows us more than we know ourselves. And I don't know what all God is inviting each of us into, but I know God loves us way too much to leave us where we're at. I do love God. I love God passionately and poorly. I love the heart of God when we actually look at this, that God is not willing to let us become a pot that gets done and fired and set on the shelf, and it's like, oops, done with that now. God is continually engaged with reshaping, reforming, expanding us for what it is right now we're meant to hold. In this day and age, right now where we find ourselves. And I think the thing that continues to amaze me is that God lets me be in process. I'm continuing to be invited to look at things that are tension-filled look at ways in which I seek safety and no tension, and I have the answer. You guys, I'm an eight. I don't like not having the answer. I hate vulnerability. And every time I preach, I feel the invitation, will you be vulnerable? It's like somebody has to kick me out that window every single time. But here's what I find. It's 
when I wrestle with the tension of what I fear most. Over and over and over again, I meet a God that knows me, that sees me, and loves me way too much to leave me where I am. I've heard the phrase so many times recently, well, that's what it is to be human. You know, yeah, we're wrestling, we're all at the core, you know, we have to fight all these evil urges and all that stuff like that. And I actually don't believe that. I think if God created us, we're created in God's own image, and at the very core of who we are is goodness. At the very core of who we are is goodness. And nobody can take that out. Just like my girls don't get to take out the fact that they have their father's eyes. They will forever have their father's eyes. And it doesn't even look like I participated. We can't take out an image of something that is literally crafted into our soul. So one of my wonderful mentors is Jean Vanier. And there's a quote he has. Oh, Mitch. I need a longer arm. Um, one of the quotes he has about humanity that I actually am going to leave you with, and then we'll go to the prayers of the people. Being human is more than the power or capacity to think and to perform. There is a gentle person of love hidden in the child within each adult. The heart is the place where we meet others, their suffering, and rejoice with them. It is a place where we can identify and be in solidarity with them. When we love, when we love, we are not alone. The heart is the place of our oneness with all humanity. So today, I wonder what is God shaping in you right now? What are you wrestling with? What are you noticing? But do you see those strong and intentional hands as coming for you with love. Because here's what I know, that I know, that I know, that I know. When you look into the face of another human being, you will always see an image of God. If you choose to pause long enough. And God is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.